Politics Girl has a new sponsor, Jenny Kane. And I have to tell you, when they called me to sponsor the show, I was so excited because I was already obsessed with their product. Jenny Kane started as the most amazing sweater company, but now they've branched off into clothing and shoes and furniture and home goods. And you know when a company grows like that, it's because they're making a top shelf product. If you want high quality classic pieces like yummy sweaters and great leather flip-flops, then you wanna be filling your wardrobe with all things Jenny Kane. People talk about having capsule wardrobes now. It's less about being trendy and more about having a limited collection of clothes that you don't have to overthink because it all goes together. You have this super high quality group of basics that takes the guesswork out of getting dressed because you know that whatever you put on is gonna look cool and polished. I'm currently living in my Jenny Kane dark gray cashmere fisherman sweater, which comes in regular and oversized. It's totally delicious, it looks great with everything, and I wear it all the time. Honestly, if I could, I would have that sweater in every color. One of the things Jenny Kane pitches is being the best dressed version of yourself. And I love that because ultimately it's about being a pulled together version of you, about having clothes that make you feel terrific. Jenny Kane is also a California company, so it's got this kind of cool girl, strategically casual thing that looks good on everybody. It's not at all fussy, it's just perfect, perfect basics. So find your own forever pieces at JennyKane.com and get 15% off your first order when you use the code POLITICSGIRL at checkout. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code POLITICSGIRL. Thank you so much, Jenny Kane. I love your stuff. Um, <clears throat> you're choking you for... to death can we do would you like to have a choking to death moment uh, before we say, go on <laughs> thank you for uh, for uh, doing some uh, uh tap shoe while i was coughing oh it reminds me of uh <clears throat> the impeachment when i needed a root canal um, oh god <laughs> you poor no, thing nobody uh, was ever more eager to get a root canal than i was you were allowed to take a break <laughs> even if it was unconscious Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. This week's episode is a candid conversation with California Congressman Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, member of the January 6th Select Committee, and one of the lead impeachment managers for the first impeachment of Donald Trump in January 2020. A former federal prosecutor, his government bio is so chocker blocked with important bills and committees and leadership that I couldn't even hope to do it justice without this introduction being 15 minutes long. Suffice it to say, Congressman Schiff is an incredibly brilliant man, a gifted orator, a committed public servant, and a true American patriot in the real sense of the word. He is also the author of the absolutely riveting book, Midnight in Washington, How We Almost Lost Our Democracy and Still Could. Now, I don't have a lot of time to read books, and when I do, I like them to be fiction because I want to take a break from the world, but I listen to this one as an audiobook, and I can tell you, it's amazing. It's an insider look, first-person breakdown of the Trump years and everything that happened around him that compromised the very nature of democracy in America. The whole thing made me feel sane. It's an incredibly accessible retelling of key political events where Schiff discusses all the things that went down and how the Republican Party abandoned its ideology and allowed itself to become completely remade into something stripped of principle. How he lost friendships with people he had worked with for years, and how certain people risked everything to stand up against the autocratic tendencies of Donald Trump. But as I said, Congressman Schiff is also the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, which oversees the nation's intelligence agencies, including part of the Department of Defense and Homeland Security. Among other things, he is a leading voice in American foreign policy and a huge proponent of the safety of all Americans. 
he has actively addressed nuclear proliferation, which means the spread of nuclear weapons around the world, with his own bills, and he works tirelessly for both California's 28th and the nation as a whole. I am a huge fan of Congressman Schiff. If I was ever going to be in Congress myself, it's his kind of leadership I would look to emulate. He's truly in government for the right reasons, and the people of America are better and safer because of his leadership. So without further ado, please welcome Adam Schiff, congressman, foreign affairs expert, gifted communicator, and passionate advocate for American democracy. Welcome, Adam. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Um, right off the top, I want to tell you that I'm fangirling a bit because if I had to put together a list of my favorite government officials, you would be right at the top of that list. I am so close to being in your district, but not quite. I'm just over the hill. Um, but you've played such an active role in the past six years, which many people have found quite traumatizing, um, sticking your neck out during the Russia investigation, taking a massive hit when everyone decided the Republicans were going to call it a hoax. Um, you were a leading voice in the first impeachment. You spoke up a lot during the second impeachment. Um, you wrote this incredible book, which I was just saying made me feel sane in a time where I really felt like I was going insane. Um, and I highly recommend to everybody to read your book. But you're just a, basically a wonderful steward of the nation, and you're trying to attempt to shepherd us safely into the future amidst all this chaos. And I know that you and I could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about the 1-6 committee, um, this new report that just came out that Trump might have engaged in criminal acts to overturn the election, which, as far as I'm concerned, we all know he did. It's just a matter of if he will be held accountable. Um, we could talk about Russian interference in 2016. But I think with all that's going on in the world right now, we should probably stick with Russia, Ukraine. That feels like the priority. Does that feel the same way to you? Uh, it does. It does. And thank you for the very, very nice introduction. Um, and although I have to say, when somebody puts you on their list of favorite politicians, um, you know, it's that's got to be a very small list and a very selective. Uh, I like the mouthy ones. I like the ones that speak up for democracy. I like the ones that put things in clear terms. And you are right up there, my friend. I'm I hope you see that as a good thing, because I do. I'm a politics lover. I do. Thank you very much. Now, you are chair of the House Intelligence Committee. Could you tell people what that job entails? What is the Intelligence Committee and what's it doing? Yeah, no, I, I would love to. Uh, we're, you know, I think a committee that at least previously people knew very little about because we meet largely in secret. Uh, we have a meeting space that's three floors below the Capitol, which we affectionately refer to as the bunker. Uh, and we meet there, uh, you know, behind very thick doors. It feels like you're walking into a safe um, because that way we can review classified information uh, in a way that uh, we don't have to worry too much about prying eyes in the, in the form of electronics. But we oversee all the intelligence agencies. So we make sure that they're focused on keeping the country safe. We make sure that they're following the law. Uh, we make sure they're observing people's privacy. Uh, we make sure that they have the budgets that they need. Uh, that's the bread and butter of what we do. And now we've become known over the last five years for some of the investigative work we've done, which is a little bit unusual for our committee. Uh, but by dint of just circumstance, uh, two of the major investigations, one involving Russia, the other involving Ukraine, uh, we were uh, sort of ground zero for the invest investigative work for the House uh, during the Trump years. Uh, but uh, our primary responsibility is is overseeing those intelligence agencies. Both of those things you talked about, you became investigative for in Russia and in Ukraine. Those are basically the same issue. I think people don't realize that it's all sort of part and parcel of the same problem, that uh, Ukraine was invaded 
just over a week ago. And yet this problem started a long time before that. There was sort of back and forth major diplomatic actions to try and avoid uh, Russian conflict in Ukraine. But this started a while back. Do you want to walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, and that's, I think, a really important point. Um, None of this is happening by coincidence. Uh, None of it is unrelated to the rest of the whole. Um, If you look back uh, to uh, 2016, the Russians were then attacking our democracy. They were interfering with our election. They had decided Donald Trump would be much better for Russia than Hillary Clinton. Uh, One of the reasons they were, I think, Putin was particularly uh, frightened of Hillary Clinton Uh, is that he was terrified of these color revolutions that had been going on in the world, uh, where people uh, in different repressive countries were rebelling against their dictatorial leadership. One of those revolutions, the Orange Revolution, was in Ukraine, and it came very close, obviously, uh, to Putin's doorstep. Uh, And I think for Putin, uh, he felt that, uh, gosh, if people can rise up and throw out their autocratic leaders like Ukraine did, Um, then what's to stop the Russian people from doing the same? So he was determined to uh, do what he could to stop Hillary Clinton from becoming president. He felt as Secretary of State, she'd been very supportive of these color revolutions, of people's right to choose their own uh, representation. Uh, And uh, and so this was part of Putin's push to consolidate his regime, to promote autocracy, to try to divide democracies, Um, At the same time, uh, Russia had invaded Ukraine, not to the extent that it has over the last 10 days. But what people need to realize is back when we did our Ukraine investigation over Donald Trump's withholding of hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid to Ukraine, to that same Vladimir Zelensky, who is showing himself to be such a hero. This is the will you do us a favor, though, phone call that everyone knows about. This was about aid to Ukraine because of Russian aggression. That's exactly right. Uh, You know, what people need to realize is back when Trump tried to extort Zelensky and say, essentially, you know, withhold this military aid until Zelensky would smear Joe Biden. When that was going on, the Ukrainians were already warring with Russia. They were having casualties every week. Ukrainians were dying. Now, it wasn't the same extent, but uh, this was this has been a long simmering hot conflict. Uh, and, and now I think people have a much more vivid sense of the horror of what Donald Trump was doing to Ukraine by treating it as this this uh, tool in his reelection campaign uh, and withholding military aid uh, from Ukraine. And I think one of the lessons Putin took from that was the U.S. didn't care about Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine was something to be used as a lever, but it, it, we didn't care about their democracy. We certainly wouldn't defend their democracy. Um, Putin is finding out differently now, and, uh, and I'm so glad that we have President Biden uh, rallying the world in the defense of Ukraine. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we hear a lot that this never would have happened. This war never would have happened if Donald Trump was president. But of course, the war wouldn't have needed to happen if Donald Trump was president because he was basically uh, undermining NATO at every chance he got. He was pulling troops out of Germany. He was suggesting America would leave NATO. These are all things Putin would have wanted. I keep thinking that if Donald Trump had stayed in power, you know, I think Putin could have just walked in and taken Ukraine uh, and America would have done nothing. It's a it's the change in leadership, the change in the respect for democracy itself, the uh, change in leadership in NATO. I think 
Joe Biden has done a terrific job um, gathering the uh, different nations of NATO together and leading in a way that's not America first, but the world first, democracy first. Are you noticing such a big difference having been in the chair of the House Intelligence Committee uh, under both presidents? You must see a huge difference. Oh, it's dramatic. And, and I'll tell you uh, where I see it most uh, tangibly. Um, two, years ago, two years ago, I went to the preeminent national security conference in the world, which takes place every year in Munich. Uh, and the theme of the conference, um, bear in mind, this was during the end of the Trump administration, was westlessness, as in restlessness. But um, is there anything um, such as the West anymore? Is NATO necessary? Is NATO still important? Or is it, as Trump was suggesting, obsolete, a relic? Um, well, two years later, I'm back at that same conference uh, with the speaker, um, and, uh, and there was such solidarity um, to stand up to Ukraine. NATO was unified like never before. No one was questioning now the relevance of NATO. Um, and, and instead, we saw just how vital it is as an institution and I think, uh, you know, hats off to the administration for bringing the countries of NATO together and a lot of countries outside of NATO uh, to push back against this naked aggression by Putin and Russia, this dictatorial uh, making of war uh, to try to uh, aggrandize himself and rebuild the Russian empire. Uh, so NATO has found purpose like it hasn't had in, in half a century. Which I think is actually beneficial to the entire world because there was definitely a, what Anne Applebaum wrote in the Atlantic magazine, this sort of rise of autocracies around the world, you know, and you have Putin propping up Belarus and Putin propping up Syria and these sort of autocratic leaders coming to the forefront. And I know there was this thought, like you're saying, westlessness, you know, like, do we really need democracy? Do we really need NATO? Is this the new world power, these new world superpowers? And I... I'm seeing such a shift right now, and you must be seeing a global shift right now to a, uh, we need to fight for our democracies. And we see it here at home too. You see people saying like, we are never going through that again. We're going to fight and fight because democracy is something we can't take for granted. And I wonder, you know, you're watching someone like Vladimir Zelensky leading his people right now, being kind of like a mythical hero leader, you know, alongside shoulder to shoulder with his people for freedom and democracy and and so far, the Russian response has been kind of lackluster at best and pathetic in some places. And I think a lot of these young soldiers didn't even know what they were getting into. But we have to be honest, we're only a week into this war, right? I know Michael McFaul, who was the American um, diplomat and served as the ambassador to Russia under Obama, he's used the word horrific. It's going to get horrific. So I just want to prepare people for what might be coming so they don't get devastated that, oh, look at this poor democracy and is this what's going to happen to democracy? Could you explain what we might be looking at? Because we're only a week into this conflict and it might get much worse before it gets better. Yeah, no, I think you're really wise to raise this point because, you know, right now the Ukrainians are showing incredible courage uh, and the Russian operations are not going well. Um, they plan to, you know, be well ahead of where they are right now and taking over Kyiv, uh, they thought they would meet very little resistance and they're meeting fierce resistance. Uh, and, you know, tragically, a lot of Russians are going home in body bags, um, but a lot of uh, civilians uh, and Ukrainian military likewise uh, are casualties of this war. Um, but, but at the moment uh, when we see Ukraine uh, fighting back so valiantly, 
it's easy to be lulled into thinking maybe Ukraine can win this war. Uh, and the reality is Russia has just overwhelming military force. Uh, and even if they don't deploy it well, and even if it takes them a long time, uh, they have the power to, to subject <laughs> that country to a kind of living hell. And uh, <clears throat> that may be where we're headed. So it's right to prepare people uh, for the worst because it could easily come to that. Yeah, I think it could easily come to that. Let's take a little break now and we'll be back with almost my congressman, Adam Schiff, after some messages from our sponsors. The Politics Girl podcast is sponsored by Athletic Greens. And if you've been listening to this pod, you know that I'm a huge fan. But my friends who listened to the show called me to make sure I really believed what I was saying. And they questioned if they should buy the product. And I was like, yeah. First of all, because I don't do ads for things I don't actually like, but also because you're gonna feel so much better. So my friend Ingrid texted me this week because she ordered Athletic Greens and has been doing her one scoop in water on an empty stomach once a day. And her text said, you know how I'm literally always sleepy? Since starting Athletic Greens, there is a marked difference in my energy. I'm no longer obsessing over when my next nap is going to be or if I'm going to have to struggle through until I can get to sleep. This green stuff is a game changer. And that's the thing. It really is. Athletic Greens is a powder supplement whose special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and sleep. It's a once-a-day microhabit that uses the best products and is based in the latest science. In fact, their current formula is on its 53rd iteration because they're constantly updating it as the science advances. No matter how you eat, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it will fit into your lifestyle. It is less than one gram of sugar per serving, no GMOs, no chemicals or artificial anything. Now is the time for you to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition like my own friends have. It's just a one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash politicsgirl to take ownership over your health and get the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. When I was growing up, I had acne when no one else did. That is, until ninth grade, when I stood in front of the mirror after swim class with a new girl who had just started at my school, and she had acne too. And as I watched, she put powder all over her face that covered all her zits. And I said, what is that? And she told me what it was, and we had a whole discussion about how it won't make your skin better, but at least you'll look better. And we both agreed that since there was nothing we could do to make our skin better, looking better was the most important thing. That 15-year-old girl in the mirror ended up becoming my best friend. And she is still my best friend to this day. We bonded over the pain of acne, how much it affects your life, how insecure it makes you, how we would have done anything to fix it. And I know there's hundreds of thousands of people who feel the same way, which is why I'm so pleased to be partnering with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that connects you with a board-certified dermatologist online who will create a personalized treatment plan that is tailored just to your skin. You just have to fill out Apostrophe's quiz about your skin goals and medical history, snap a couple of selfies, and your dermatologist will create a completely customized plan. What my friend and I wouldn't have done for that service back in ninth grade, I can't even tell you. Apostrophe treats all types of acne, from hormonal acne to facial acne, and all the other places acne shows up. And they do it from the comfort of your own home. No doctor's offices, no pharmacy, no waiting in line. 
Apostrophe offers science-backed oral and topical medications, clinically proven to help clear your skin, deal with anti-aging, skin texture, dark spots, and fine lines, which now that I'm moving past acne, I am totally dealing with. You tell them what your skin needs and they will take it seriously. And we have a special deal for our audience. Save $15 off your first visit with an apostrophe provider at apostrophe.com slash politicsgirl when you use our code politicsgirl. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash politicsgirl and click begin visit and then use the code politicsgirl at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash politicsgirl and use that code politicsgirl to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for $5. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring this podcast and thinking about people like us. And we're back talking to California Congressman Adam Schiff about what we should be looking for with this ongoing crisis in Ukraine. What do you say to the people who are saying, why do we have this giant military if we aren't using it? How come we're not just sending our planes in and our military in to crush this convoy that's going to Kiev that's on its way? Why are we letting the Ukrainian people stand up by themselves? How come we're not in? And I think what people don't understand is that NATO by nature is a defensive organization. It is not something that would take the offense. So I think, uh, let me see if I've got my voice back one second more. No pressure. I want people to understand why NATO's not coming in. So I think you're absolutely right that people are asking, you know, why can't NATO just come in and destroy this convoy of these slow moving vehicles? Uh, And, you know, the short answer is we don't want to get into a shooting war between the United States and Russia. Uh, and were NATO to come in or U.S. planes to come in and, uh, and strafe that convoy, we'd be in World War III. Uh, so yeah. the president has made it very clear we're not sending American boots on the ground. Uh, you know, some members of Congress have been calling for a no-fly zone. That would be dangerously escatory uh, if American planes were basically going up against Russian planes. So we're not going to do that. Now, we are going to try to supply and are supplying Ukraine with the weapons to help it defend itself. Um, and you know whether they will have the logistic and other abilities to go after that convoy or not, um, we are helping them defend themselves. And as a result, you know, Russia is taking serious casualties. Uh, so the Ukrainians are having success. But again, uh, as you were indicating earlier, when push comes to shove, I think Putin doubles down uh, and he takes uh, as long as it, he needs to encircle these cities, uh, to subjugate their populations. The thing I can't understand is what's the end game for him? Uh, you know, as, as we have found out in Iraq and Afghanistan, as the Russians found out in their own war in Afghanistan, it's easy to get in. It's very hard to get out. And yeah, I and I wanted that, uh, to ask you about that because it's like, what is the end game? Why now? Why invade a country like this? Is it just that he got complacent during the Trump years and thought he could do everything or we didn't respond well enough when he took Crimea or took Georgia? So we thought, ah, they won't do anything this time. Did he think we were just so divided in America that we couldn't show leadership because we're divided at home? You know, he's now talking about America being sorry. And Lavrov's on RT, which is Russian television, for those people who don't know, talking about nuclear war and putting warheads in active zones. And people online are freaking out about it. And then there's people who have lived through this kind of idea before with the Cuban Missile Crisis who are less frantic. 
from someone in your position and your kind of clearance, how much in danger are we of having a nuclear war? Uh, you know, I do not think that this is a possibility and we're going to make sure it's not a possibility. Uh, I think, you know, Putin is rattling the nuclear saber because he sees just how forceful the West has been in coming together around these sanctions. Uh, and it's really, it's really choking off the Russian economy, which I think Putin fears puts him at risk, puts his regime at risk. Um, and I think you're right. I think Putin went into this with a lot of misconceptions, uh, misconceptions about whether Ukraine would fight back. They are, uh, to his horror. Uh, misconceptions about whether the West would get its act together. We did. Uh, misconceptions about what kind of economic sanctions we would really bring about. Uh, he thought he could do an end run around them, but we've choked off that end run. So uh, I think it's been a really bitter shock to him. Um, and I do think he thought Zelensky was weak. Uh, he thought America was divided. Uh, and yes, we've got Donald Trump saying the usual stupid stuff about Putin being a genius. Um, but, you know, Democrats and most Republicans in Congress are coming together on a strong aid and, and military package to help Ukraine. So, And you uh, do see some Republicans coming together. You see the Republicans supporting this effort because we see how much uh, they tend to toe the line in their own direction. But yeah, in this I mean, case, there, there's there's no question there's divisions within Republican ranks. I mean, their party leader, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, as you say, I mean, he, he's praising Putin. If he were in office right now, he would be, I think, doing nothing to help Ukraine. Um, and uh, this is why Putin, you know, intervened for him the first time and intervened for him the second time, the first time yeah. successfully and the second time not. Um, no, but, it's, it's uh, really great to have someone that's only looking out for themselves and will turn a blind eye if uh, it serves them. And that's a hell of a leader for Putin to have had in America, as, with America being its top nemesis, I guess. You know, it is really astounding that the party of Ronald Reagan would become sycophantic to Vladimir Putin. Right. But under Trump, that's what it was. And even now, the, the thought leader in the Republican Party uh, is Tucker Carlson. And he continues to be this, uh, this pathetic uh, water carrier for the Kremlin. Um, so there, you know, there are prominent Republican voices, uh, apologists for Vladimir Putin, but but most rank and file Republicans uh, in Congress um, have, you know, at least momentarily returned to the Reaganite fold uh, and are willing to work with Democrats on sanctioning Russia, uh, on uh, aid for Ukraine. And so uh, I think that must be quite a, sh a shock to Putin as well. May I ask one question about the Russian people? Because I sometimes think that maybe... Uh, the best way to end this war might be from the Russian people themselves, but they live within their own propaganda machine. You know, there's obviously Russians who are against the war publicly, who have uh, been getting arrested at protests, which is illegal in Russia. There's a major disconnect, though, between those who are watching Russian state TV, just like the people in America who watch Fox News. You mentioned Tucker. You've got Hannity on TV talking about we should just go in and pretend it's not us and shoot the convoy. I mean, Hannity's on TV saying that every night. Um, you've got the Russian people with their own propaganda networks, not really even understanding what's happening. How do we help get through to them? Because it might be an uprising in their own country that stops this. What's your thought on that? You know, I think that uh, uh, this is the biggest gamble of Putin's life. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he's approaching, he's approaching the age where most Russian men die. Um, you know, Russian <laughs> longevity is not great, not particularly, particularly for men. 
So I think he's thinking about his legacy and he wants to be Peter the Great and you know, rebuild the Russian Empire. Um, but, uh, but I think that he's, he's terribly miscalculated and the Russian people are really going to feel the folly of what their leader is doing. Uh, they're feeling it already. Uh, you know, their savings are getting wiped out um, and the ruble is, is crashing. Uh, so I, I think that it will, it will, over time, create a lot of pressure on the regime. Uh, now, he's got an iron grip on that regime. Uh, you could see in that highly publicized uh, incident where he was dressing down his intelligence chief, uh, that uh, basically he's signaling to the Russian people that uh, he is so strong, even the top people in his government uh, need to to bow to him, um, and he can humiliate them publicly. Uh, reminds me a lot of uh, of uh, you know certain former leader in our country who uh, delighted in humiliating people. Um, but uh, uh, I think over time, uh, the domestic discontent in Russia is going to grow. It's already there; it's just being stifled by this police state. Uh, and I you know I give a lot of uh, um, uh, credit to these protesters in Russia who are risking their lives by protesting, uh, members of the Russian Duma who are voting against the war, um, that's really gutsy stuff. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's going to take time. I know I have to let you go because you're an insanely busy man. I hope you will come back again and we can discuss other things. Um, but as you're on your way out the door here, what would you tell the American people as they're watching this unfold that you would like them to keep in their minds? As a final thought. Well, I, I, I would say, I guess, a couple things. One is just uh, how extraordinarily brave the Ukrainians are being right now. Uh, that footage of that old man trying to stop a tank by throwing himself in front of it brings back memories of Tiananmen. And, you know, what incredible human spirit to put your body in front of a tank. Um, and I, I think it ought to remind us of um, how precious freedom and democracy are. There is this dangerous flirtation, some would say love affair, uh, in Trump's GOP with authoritarianism, with autocracy. But we're seeing in Ukraine what that really is like. Uh, and, uh, and one of the best ways to protect democracy around the world is to make sure that we protect it here at home. Uh, and that's the other point I would make. Uh, our democracy is also not assured. Um, and, and it's a proud legacy we have that we ought to cherish. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for making these issues so accessible to uh, all your listeners and viewers. I really admire what you do. Well, listen, if we, if we understand, we care. And when we care, we vote and we can make real change. And that's really what I want for America. Amen. <laughs> nice to see you. Good to see you. Take care now. So that was Congressman Adam Schiff, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, talking about where we are with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, how this is not a conflict that started a week ago, but an ongoing attack on the very idea of democracy, a war that Vladimir Putin has been waging actively for some time. We need to look at the big picture. This is all part of the same story that made the Republicans, after choosing Donald Trump as their nominee, immediately change their position on Russia and Russian influence and aggression. This is just a different chapter in the same story that had Russia make an active and successful effort to influence the 2016 presidential election, and it connects to Donald Trump and the Republican Party's deference to Putin and his wishes during that presidency. 
It is connected to the private meeting between Putin and Trump in Helsinki that ended up with the American president taking the side of the Russian leader rather than his own intelligence agencies. And it moves into the shakedown phone call between Trump and Vladimir Zelensky about withholding promised aid to Ukraine until they found dirt on Trump's political opponent. That leads us to Trump's first impeachment and all the way to the support and deference certain far-right leaders like Trump and Fox News superstars continue to show Putin to this day, despite the fact that he has now actively invaded a fellow democratic nation. It's a big picture, and it's coming together, and we have to start seeing the pieces and how they connect. Finally, as Congressman Schiff reminds us, freedom and democracy are precious and not assured. And one of the best ways to protect democracy around the world is to make sure we protect it here at home. And I think if the Ukrainians can do what they're doing, we can certainly pull up our sleeves and fight for democracy in every way possible here in America. Now go out and make the world a better place. I'd like to thank Congressman Schiff for joining us here today and you for caring enough about democracy to care to listen. Until next week, PGF. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.